All right, let's turn to First Chronicles chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in, uh, we left off in verse 11. <clears throat> we're going to try and cover quite a bit of ground tonight as we go through these uh, tribes of, uh, through all these tribes here of, of, uh, of Israel and, and their different ins and outs. Uh, of their lives, and so uh, once again, I actually have grace and mercy on me going through these names. Lots of it, please. <laughs> so we left off. We had just talked about Jabez and the prayer that he had uh, prayed to God, and God granted him that request. And as we get into verse eleven, we're going to look at a few uh, people here that that actually worked for the king and were craftsmen. So we're going to read through uh, verses eleven through twenty-three. And it says, Caleb, the brother of Shua, begot Meher, who was the father of Eshton. And Eshton begot Beth Rapha, uh, Pashe, and Tehenna, the father of Ur Nahash. There were men of Raqqa. The sons of Kenaz was Othanel and Sariah. The son of Othanel was Hathas and, and Mion Othai, who begot begot Ophrah, not Oprah, uh, Sariah begot Joab, the father of Geheresham, and they were craftsmen. So these were all craftsmen. They all, uh, they all worked with tools. They all, all did work for, uh, for the king. Moving on to 15, it says, The son of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were Uru, Elah, and Neam. The son of Elah was Kenaz. The son of Jehelel was Ziph, Zipha, Terah, and Aserel. The sons of Ezra were, Ezra were Jether, Mered, Epher, and Jalan. And Mered's wife bore Miriam, Shemai, and Ishba, the father of Eshtomoah. His wife, Jehu Dejah, bore Jared, the father of Geber, Heber, the father of Shechah, and Jechthiel, the father of Zenoah. And there were the sons of Bithiah, the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Mered took. The sons of Jodiah's wife, the sister of Nahum, were the fathers of, of Kelah, the Gormite, and of Eshtoma, a Makathite. And the sons of Shimon was Amon, Renah, Ben-Hanan, and Telon. And the sons of, of Ishai were Zoheth and Ben-Zoheth. The sons of Shelah, the sons of Judah, were Ur, the father of Lakah, Laadah, the father of Morshah, and the families of the house of the linen workers of the house of Eshbi. Also Jochum, the men of uh, Chozabah and Joash, Soref, the, the, uh, who ruled in Moab, and Jeshubi, Lahim. Now the records are ancient. So these are some old records. Uh, these were the potters and those who dwell at uh, Natame and Gedorah. There they dwelt with the king for his work. So here we see these are not necessarily royals. They're not in the line of David, but we see that these are people who worked for the king. These are people who lived with the king. 
And, and we can take that and look at this and say that our king has many servants. Our king have soldiers, they have watchmen. He has heralds, he has scribes, musicians, he has house servants. He also has servants that take care of children. And every job that our, our, our king has for us is an important job. And we can't take the small jobs that we have for granted. Even the jobs we have as a profession is a ministry and, and, and a job given to us by God. And, and, we, and, we, and we look at these, these services and sometimes we can say, well, the job I have has no importance. It does. You're going to meet somebody at your job that's going to need to know Christ, and you're going to be that light to them there. You were there for a purpose. Even though you may think that it's a small, minute thing, it's very important. And we all have our work we need to do in the kingdom, whether, whether we're serving in children's ministry, because that's where they need to start learning about the Lord at an early age. They need to start there. Whether it's, it's up here teaching, whether it's, whether it's our, our worship team that's worshiping, or whether it's us just walking in our neighborhood and in, in our circle of influence, we all have a job that we need to do. Spurgeon said this. It said, now those that live with Jesus Christ have a sort of secret alphabet between themselves and him. Oftentimes when Christian man does the right thing, do you know why he had that knack? He lived with the master. So he knew what you knew not. He knew the meaning of his master's eye, and it guided him. We must live daily with our master. We must live daily with our king. And that means spending time in his word, knowing what our master wants, knowing the deeds that he wants us to go out and do, and spending time in prayer, seeking what his will is, seeking what our ministry is or our work and our knack in life is going to be. It's spending that time with him. Now, like that in verse 23, it says that they dwelt with the king in his work. If we do any kind of work, whether it's our, 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 our secular jobs or if we're doing work in the ministry, the Lord has a respect for that if you're doing it for him. If you're doing the work for the king, for the king of kings, he looks down and he blesses that. If we do it with any other heart and we want to serve him with anything else, but wanting to serve him, our Lord, our King, our Master, then you might as well not do it because you're doing it in vain. But everything that we do, whatever work it may be, let's do it onto the Lord. Let's do it onto the King of Kings because we live with him. He dwells with us every day. He knows the intent of our hearts. So let's make sure the intent of our hearts is right and that we serve him as our Master. And Spurgeon also said one more thing about this. He says, and after you have received Christ, then you shall go forth and serve him. Put out any empty hand and receive Christ into it by little faith, and then go and serve him. And the Lord bless you henceforth and forever. We're meant to serve the Lord. We're meant to do good works for him. That comes after salvation. We want to do good works for him. And we want to be that, that servant that he's asking us to be. As we continue on, we're going to get, look at the family of uh, Simeon. And, and we're going to go up to about chapter 8 tonight. So I'm not going to read through all these. We'll be here for a while if I, if I did that. And I'm going to spare you all all of that. But we're going to talk a little bit about each one of these families and give you a little, a little background of what have you on it. 
So we see here in verses uh, 24 through 43, we look at the family of Simeon. Now, Simeon and Levi, these two sons of Jacob, remember, they massacred, massacred the men of Shechem. They were circ- the men of Shechem got circumcised. They were in pain. They couldn't move. They went in and murdered these men. So these two families of Simeon and Levi did not get any land allotted to them. Now, obviously, one of the families ended up a little better than the, than the other one. As we see with uh, Simeon, his family basically became nomads and eventually, eventually just dissolved into, into Israel and into Judah and didn't have much of a, a history after that. A lot of them, after the Solomon's kingdom, uh, a lot of elements of Simeon either moved into the northern kingdom or started worshiping a lot of the idols they had, or they just kind of kind of blended into to Judah and what have you. So they were basically nomads, did not have much of a place uh, to stay. Two of the uh, two people that stayed in the in the with Simeon, I'm sorry, with the family of Simeon, was was a fornicator, Zimri, and also Judas Iscariot came from that that family. Not very good company. And now we're going to look in uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We're going to look at the descendants of Reuben. Now, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. Even though we talked a lot about Judah the past two chapters, and, they, and rightfully so, and even though Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, we know that Judah was given uh, more attention here in Chronicles. But why, why was that? David and the son of David, Jesus Christ, came from the family of Judah. So they get the first fiddle on that. But then we see Reuben, who forfeited his right as a firstborn when he took one of his father's concubines. So he, 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 he sinned against his father, sinned against God, and that right of firstborn was taken from him. And basically Judah ended up taking that role. All right, in verses 11 through uh, 22 of chapter 5, we see the descendants of Gad. Now, I want to read a portion of that, starting in verse 18. And it says, The son of Reuben, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield, sword, to shoot uh, with the bow, and skillful in war, who went to war. They made war with the Hagarites, uh, Juter, Nephish, and Nodab. And they uh, were helped against them, and the Hagarites were delivered into their hands, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer, because they put their trust in him. Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, and 2,000 of their donkeys, also 100,000 of their men. That's a, that's a lot of animals. For many fell dead because the war was God's, and they dwelt in the place until the captivity. One thing that stood out here was in the middle of the battle, they cried out to God in the battle. Do we cry out to God in our battles? It may not be a physical combat that we're in, but it could be a spiritual combat finances, work, relationships, whatever it may be we're going through. Do we cry out to the Lord or do we forget to do that? And and I know the Lord's just waiting. Roy, cry out to me. I know you're struggling, brother. I know you're there. Cry out to me. He's wanting us to do that. 
But often we don't. We want to try and do things in our own strength, and it just doesn't materialize. It doesn't work out. But you see here that they cried out to him in battle. And he heeded their prayer. Why did they heed the prayer? Why did God heed their prayer? Because it goes on and says, because they trusted in him. They put their faith and trust in him that he was going to get them through that battle, that he was going to give them victory. And that's what we see happening here. And we we see that also 100,000 of their men were taken. They fell dead because why? The war was God's. It was God's will already for this, this battle to be won on their behalf. And we see him answering the prayer because they trusted in him. How many times in, in First and Second Kings we've read that these kings would go to battle, but they would never cry out to the Lord, and they would lose the battle. But if they only cried out to the Lord and trusted him, those battles could have been won. But they failed to do that. They wanted to do it in their own strength, and failure can. We can't do anything in our own strength. We need the strength of the Lord. We need to cry out for him, even in the smallest battles. We need to cry out and trust him. And that's what we see him doing right here in Scripture. In in, uh, chapter 5, 23 through 26, we see the family of uh, Manasseh, the east portion. Now, they were split up on each side of the Jordan. This, This particular family stayed on the east side of the Jordan, did not go in necessarily to the promised land. And they were considered mighty men of valor. They were famous men and heads of their father's houses. These uh, original settlers of the eastern tribe of Manasseh were godly and bold men. They desired to settle east of the Jordan River, did not reflect to be ungodly desire on their part. But we read in verse 25, and it says, And they were unfaithful to God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land who God had destroyed before them. So they may have started off strong. They may have started off very well whenever they decided to stay on the east side of the Jordan. But that didn't last long. We see them here saying they played the harlot. That they fell into the idolatry that the the people surrounding them were in. And that's not where we want to be as Christians. That's not where we want to be as believers. And I've noticed often that when people are on the outside of what we can call God's will, they often get devoured. They often fall short of what God has for them because they're playing on the outside of what God has. They're not centered with them. And you know, if, if a shepherd is walking with his flock of sheep, those who are in the center with the shepherd is the most protected. But those who are on the fringes of that, of that herd are often the ones that get picked off by the wolves because they want to wander off and do their own thing, or they might be slow or, or weaker, and the wolves come in and, and, and grab them, and they're not protected by that shepherd. That's why we've got to be in the center of God's will. We've got to be in his word. We, gotta, we have to pray. We have to be seeking after his heart. We don't get devoured, so we're not on the fringes of the rest of the sheep following Christ. But we're in, in it um, with them. We're in it amongst them, and we're centered with Christ. That's where we need to be at. We don't need to be on the fringes of our Christianity. How do they say it's standing on a fence, kind of teeter-tottering? We don't need to be there. We need to be in the center of where Christ is at, where we can stand strong and protect it. 
Moving on to chapter 6, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, verses 1 through 30. We're going to see the descendants of Levi. And we talked about them earlier with Simeon and how uh, they, were not to have, they were not going to have any land per se either. But this tribe seems to be more of a blessing for Israel than Simeon happened to be. We see here that the chapter describes the descendants of Levi and Aaron. The entire tribe of Levi had a special place in Israel given over to the service of God, generally. They were servants for God. That's what they did, spread throughout Israel, being servants of God. Within the tribe of Levi were special priestly families uh, ascended from Aaron. All priests were therefore Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So the priests came from the line of Aaron, which we'll see. The Levites were to be servants unto the Lord. Now I encourage you. Ask yourself, where is your service for the Lord? We talked about it earlier about being servants. Where is your service? Seek the Lord in that. Ask him, Lord, where, where is my place in this family? What type of service do you want me to do for the church? What type of service do you want to do for my, my physical family? What kind of service do you want? The Levites were servants for Israel. The Lord wants us to be servants for our our people as well, the church, as well as those outside these four walls. So let's seek the Lord. Let's let's take the time in your day. Lord, where would you have me serve today? And it might be different every day. And some things may be the same every day. But he wants you to seek him to know where to serve him in ministry. As we previously seen with Simeon and Levi, with both of these basically cursed to be scattered throughout, um, throughout Israel, we see Levi... The, the family of Levi growing and continuing on, not like Simeon. And they were to be spread throughout Israel to be servants of Israel, and also the priesthood would come from them. So moving on to verse 31 through 48, we're going to talk about uh, the musicians of the house of the Lord. And we just had a great worship team up here doing a great job worshiping. And... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about worship right now. In verse 31, it says, Now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. So it's only fitting that David would pick some people to be musicians inside the house of the Lord. Him being a musician himself and having, having a love for, for worship, he would go and pick um, some worshipers as well. The fact that he appointed these men's over the service of song shows that musical worship of God is important. I've, I've, I've heard people say a lot of times, well, he really doesn't start preaching until about this time, so we can miss worship, but we'll come in and we'll listen to his word. Missing the whole point. We need to come in and, and give worship to God and to get ourselves prepared to receive the word that's coming in that day. That's what that worship's for. It's not just to come here and clap our hands and sing a song that's great, but it's to usher us into the presence of the Lord and to get, get filled with the Spirit to be able to understand and receive that message that we're going to get that Sunday or that Wednesday. That's what the worship is about. It's not something that we should take lightly. And this is their office. This is what, they, this is what these gentlemen, we're going to talk about two of them in a minute. This is what they did. They were, they were worshipers in the house of the Lord. That was their assigned duty. So it is something important, and worship should be something that is organized and put together and done well, done with excellence. 
And we're going to see that with these uh, gentlemen here. First thing we're going to look at starts in verse 33. It says, and these are the ones who uh, ministered with uh, their sons. Of the sons of Kohathites were Haman, the singer of the son of Joel and the son of Samuel. So we're going to talk about Haman real quick. So this, uh, this man is mentioned several times in connection with the temple worship in the days of David and Solomon. He was an important part of the ceremonies connected with bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and the dedication of the temple as well. And I'm going to read one of the Psalms that he's, uh, he's accredited to, and that would be Psalms 88, if y'all can turn there. <clears throat> In Psalms 88 reads, it says, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift amongst the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up, and I I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your lovingness, uh, loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in your place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer come before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They come around me all day long like water. They engulf me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into the dark. That's a pretty sad psalm. But the fact that he was able to, to tap into what he was feeling and still have that trust for the Lord is great. It shows us here that this man was acquainted with sorrow and trouble for he says, my soul is full of trouble in verse 3. It says, I am like a man who has no strength. In verse 4, it says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and some of the sweetest songs come from the heaviest sorrows. A lot of music and a lot of songs that have been written over the ages have come from sorrow and, and sadness. And we see that here in this Psalms 88. Psalms 88 also shows us a man who could take his grief to the Lord. 
we can also take our grief to the Lord. He wants to carry that for us. He wants to know. He already knows what we're going through, but he wants us to come to him. Just like if my children are hurting, I want them to come to me with their grief. I want to be able to comfort them in that time. Our Lord wants the same thing. And he says, but to you, Lord, he says, I cried, I cried out, O Lord. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Even though he was going through this grief and this sorrow, he still cried out to the Lord. He still knew where his strength and his answer was going to come from in the midst of this grief and sorrow that he was going through. Another character we're going to talk about is Asaph, and it's verse 39. We can turn back to 1 Chronicles. Verse 39 says, And his brother Asaph, who stood at his right hand, was Asaph, to uh, the son of Morkiah, the son of Shema. So if we look at this guy, Asaph, there was also another Asaph that was mentioned in the Bible. This is not the same one. This is the first place this particular Asaph had been mentioned in the Bible. And he was mentioned in other areas of having some influence as well. First Chronicles 15, 17 through 9 mentions Asaph as a fellow singer with Haman and Ethan. First Chronicles 16, 5 describes Asaph as the chief at the ceremony bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. We also see in 1 Chronicles 16, 7, it says that David delivered a psalm to Asaph and his brother at the ceremony. Apparently, David probably wrote this psalm and had them conduct it and sing it. 1 Chronicles 25, 6 says that Asaph, uh, Jeduthun, and Haman served in music under the authority of King David. And he also was attributed to 12 different psalms, Psalms 50 and also Psalms 73 through 83. So we see the importance of worship here in David and Solomon's kingdom, and we we see the importance of it is mentioned in these chronicles, is mentioned in these genealogies, how important those who who conduct worship and, and produce music for the Lord is. It's a very important job, a very important service, and this was done through the family of Levi who were servants to the Lord. So appointed to every kind of service of the tabernacle of the house of God, the Levites served God in almost every conceivable way, both practical and spiritual in appearance. So every kind of service is important and precious to God, no matter how small it is. Whether you're cleaning the church, whether you're doing repairs on the church, whether you're serving in the the children's ministry, whether you're serving up here in worship, no matter what it is, is important and is precious in the sight of God. So don't ever think that it's, it's nothing. All right, going, keeping in chapter 6, we're going to be going through verses 49 through 53. And that's the family of Aaron. That's where the priest came from. And it reads, But Aaron and his sons offered sacrifice on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the Most High Place and to make atonement for Israel according to all, the, all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. Now these are the sons of Aaron, Elizer, his son, Phinehas, his son, Abshua, his son, Bacchai, his son, Uzai, his son, Zariah, his son, Mariah, his son, Amariah, his son, Ahiatub, his son, Zadok, his son, in Ahimaaz, his son. 
So here we see some of the, the, the family of Aaron. The priesthood descended from Aaron and Aaron only. He was a son, and the descendants were the only ones authorized to do the sacrifice on the altar. And it says here, and to make atonement for Israel. Only authorized priests can make atonement. Though Jesus was not descended from Aaron, he was nevertheless authorized priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You can see that in Hebrews 7. So he was able to make the atonement. But also not listed is his two disobedient sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were judged for bringing the strange uh, fire and corrupt worship to the altar in Leviticus 10. So they're not even mentioned in this genealogy. So those were the sons of Aaron. Chapter 6 again, verse 54 through 81. It's 81 verses in chapter 6. That's crazy. We'll be here a long time reading through that. So we're going to talk in uh, 54 through 81. It talks about the cities and common lands uh, of the Levites, where kind of where they were spread out. It says, according to Numbers 18, 20 through 24, the tribes of Levi had no uh, province of land as the other tribes did. Their inheritance was the Lord himself and the tithes of the people of God who brought them. So they, their inheritance was God. And they were sprinkled throughout Israel, and they served Israel, and they served the people of Israel as servants and as priests. And uh, they were spread throughout the, the land to be a blessing to them. Now we're going to be in chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and we're going to read real quick the descendants of Issachar. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Pua, uh, Jeshub, and Shimron, four in all. The sons of Tola were Uzai, Raphiah, Jerel, Jahmiah, Jibsam, and Shemel. Heads of the father's house, the sons of Tola were mighty men of valor in their generations. Their numbers in the days of David were 22,600. The sons of uh, Uzziah was Israel, and the sons of Israel was Michael, Obadiah, Joel, and Isaiah. All five of them were chief men, and with them, by their generations, according to their father's house, were 36,000 troops ready for war. And they had many wives and sons. Now their brethren among uh, all the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor, listed by their genealogies, 87,000 in all. So this is a pretty large family. And they were mighty men of valor. It looked like they were, they were, they were soldiers. They had troops ready for war. This is, these were some mighty men. And in chat, verses 6 through 12, we're going to look at the uh, descendants of Benjamin. Here we find the genealogy of Benjamin, two towering figures, both named Saul, would come from this family. The first one would be the first king of Israel, and the second would be the first champion of grace, who we know as Paul, once his, 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 uh, his conversion. Thank God for his conversion. So that's for the family of Benjamin. In verse 13, we see the descendants of Naphtali is not very long. Sons of Naphtali were, were Jazel, Gunni, Jezer, and Shalom, the sons of Bilhah. And that is the descendants of Naphtali. Not too, many, not too many mentioned here. Verses 14 through 19, you're going to look at the western tribe of Manasseh. Uh, one of the characters that stood out to me was 
Zelophehad. He only had daughters, no sons. And he was mentioned in uh, Numbers. uh, A question came up to Moses about female inheritance rights. So obviously just having daughters, he was wondering how that worked as well, as everybody else was having some sons, but he just had daughters. Uh, In verses 20 through 29, we see the descendants of Ephraim. Samuel, the last judge of Israel and the first prophet of Israel, came from this tribe. Then we're going to look in verses 30 through 40, we see the descendants of Asher. If we could, let's turn to Luke 2, verse 36. Everybody okay? All right, that's a lot here. (laughs) All right, Luke 2, verse 36. Now, although the tribe, they considered them to be mighty men of valor, there is a woman in the tribe of Asher that was mentioned in the New Testament. And and I think there's there's somewhat of a lesson we can learn from this. So Luke 2, verse 36, it says, Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke, uh, spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What she did was she recognized the Messiah. She recognized where salvation was coming from. We can be the mightiest men or women of valor in our workplace, in our families, in our circles we run with. But if we're not recognizing Jesus as a Savior, none of that matters. And she was able to recognize Jesus as a Savior, pointing people towards the Messiah. And that's what we need to do. And this woman from the tribe of Asher mentioned in the New Testament does that. So we can have all the valor and all whatever. We can be mighty men or mighty women, but if we're not pointing people to Jesus and if we're not recognizing who Jesus is, it's all in vain. So let's recognize who Jesus is. Now, chapter 8, back in Chronicles. We're almost done. All right. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 40, and this is going to be short, we see more descendants of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin already been already been mentioned earlier, but it gives us more attention here. A uh, run reason for this is because most of the settlements for Benjamin was around the uh, city of Jerusalem. And we know with Judah, Judah being taken into captivity, so a lot of the tribe of Benjamin as well as Judah was there during the captivity. And so that's why Benjamin is re-mentioned again here at the end. It says, Chronicle elaborates uh, this material not simply because of the significance of King Saul, who came from Benjamin and his family, as it is continued in dozens of generations after him, but primarily because of the importance of the Benjamin as a tribe, which probably ranks second in the post-exilic society only to Judah. So Benjamin was an important tribe for the nation of Israel. We know the northern tribes uh, all got taken off by the Assyrian 
So here now we're left with the Benjamin, Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And as we get into chapter 9 next week, we'll be looking more uh, with the family of the Levites. And we're probably going to venture a little bit into chapter 10 as we get out of the uh, genealogies next week. So I think we did okay with that. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, that you've given us in that we need to seek you, Lord. No matter valor or recognition we may get, Lord, we need to seek you, number one, Lord. And that everything we do, Lord, whatever the service may be, let us do it unto you, Father God, to serve you, to bring honor to you, to bring glory to you, Lord, because it's not about us. It's all about you, Father, and your will, Father. And may we walk in that center, Lord, of your will with you, Lord, where we can be protected and guided, Lord, and not, not picked off by the wolves, Lord, as we hang on the outside, Lord. But let us hang close to you and be, live with you, Father God, and live in your word and live in prayer with you, Father. Uh, we ask for your safety uh, for the drive home tonight. I pray for your blessing over each and every one of the individuals here, Lord. And we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.